good morning again. Good morning. <laughs> Don't you hate it when songs just like get you and you sit there? I'm like, God, it was a good makeup day. <laughs> anyway, we're hoping this morning hmm. that as you experience, hear our testimony, that um, God will show you to what he will go, what extent he will go to, to, to bring you back to him. Um, you know, we've had through our lives numerous people that had played very valuable roles in our lives um, that really kind of directed us towards God, but we pretty much ignored it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's important is that when we have people in our lives that surround us, that, let me, let me rephrase that, when we're surrounding people in our lives, friends, family, loved ones that don't know Jesus, that know that it's not your role to bring them to God, the Holy Spirit will call them. And that's what happened with us. So I really want to encourage you that Jesus does sometimes leave the 99 to go after the one. And we are ones of the one. So what was life for me before Jesus? Well, mm. this, some of you might laugh, some of you might relate. I was raised Baptist, grew up in the church. I never remember a time in my life not attending church. Um, when I was 15, our youth pastor took us to a church camp for youth. Uh, you might know it, Oak Glen. And up there, I met a boy. And he was really, really cute. But he loved Jesus, and I knew I had to do something because, you know, that was all he thought talked about. Well, the last night there, there was an altar call, and I was overcome by emotion. I had no idea what was causing it, but I went up front to the altar call and said a prayer with the person that prayed, and the thing that was on my mind was, boy, I hope he likes me more now because I accepted Jesus. <laughs> the next week at church, my Baptist church, I accepted Jesus again responding to that altar call. Again, tears. I don't know even what got me out of my pew up to the front. It had to have been the Holy Spirit. But at that time, I didn't know that. Tears, 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 got baptized, and then said, you know what? I can't do this. I can't change my life like this. I like boys too much. So I went to church, but I really wasn't changed. In 1986, I met this man. Ta-da! And he was the cutest guy I'd ever seen. Now, I had told all my friends that I, was, I had very high standards. I was going to marry a, a guy that was just like my maternal grandfather. He was really the main male influence in my life. And one of the things he did, he had little, little statements that he would make that, to me, were old-fashioned. So I met Paul, and one of his final statements before he left my company the day that I met him was, excuse me, I have to go to the little boy's room. And I said to my coworker, I'm going to marry that man. <laughs> we were together for a number of years. Mm -hmm. God was never really part of the picture. No. I don't even know. I mean, he knew I was raised Baptist. I knew how he was raised. But we never talked about God. We never prayed. Yeah. Um, he was in business, marketing, and he came up with an idea that was going to make us millions. Mm -hmm. 
Megabucks. Woohoo! We so, were out, we were out shopping his and hers Jaguars. It, that's right. And so I said, okay, let's sock everything we can into this company, mortgage the house, every credit card, because we are going to be rich, and then we can have the life we want. Yeah, we were in every hospital in the United States of America. We were in parents' magazines. We were everywhere. We had a product that was for babies. So I thought, you know what? You own a business. You have to have an office. Opened an office in downtown Palm Springs. Interviewed a gal to run it because I was going to work full-time at my current job to make sure that we had enough money to fund it to begin with. Brought her into the office, and within a very short time, we knew there was going to be a problem. She was a Jesus freak. There were post-it notes everywhere with Bible verses on them. Paul got so upset. Oh, my gosh. I come in and go, get those off the wall. <laughs> this is a place of business. Little did I know that that was the beginning of our rescue and our journey. You know, I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I was an altar boy. Um, but kind of on Mary's story, but a little reverse, it was girls when I turned 16. They became a whole lot more important than going to church, and I just drifted away, and, and that was it. I mean, I've always believed in God. Uh, I used him for the 911 phone call, you know what I mean? Well, you know, as Mary was saying, you know, we met at Reno Airport. People go, you met at the airport? Yeah, we met at Reno Airport. Well, because Mary worked for Hertz Rent-A-Car, and I worked for a budget rental car. <laughs> and our counters were right next to each other. And it just happened to be, I always worked the night shift, the closing shift at midnight. Mary worked early morning. She opened up at Hertz. She happened to change with someone for a schedule, and that's the night that we met. I remember walking around the counter, and I looked. Remember, that was the day of the big hair in the 80s. Remember, it had big hair. And I seen this blonde behind the counter, 23 years old, and was like, whoa, I got to go introduce myself to her. And that's how it all started back then. You know, I always found, like Mary said, you know, we, we didn't need God. I mean, we really didn't. I mean, I, I, when I say it like that, it's like, well, we just never thought it wasn't part of our life. I mean, my life was all about, I found my satisfaction, and I found my fulfillment in my career. I, I was with Budget Rent-A-Car for 10 years. We moved all over the state of California with them. I then eventually started my own advertising agency. And, you know, this is what I did. So whenever I needed, it was the accumulation of stuff. You know, I mean, that's how you mark your success, right? And that's what we did, okay? That's how we did it. You know, we even had a gift shop in the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Palm Springs for years. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, one of the persons that I went in business with, we were, one day said, hey, let's go out and buy two BMWs. You get one and I'll get one, because you know you get a better deal if you can get two of them. So I remember that, and we go down, because always got to have a BMW, got to have that emblem. And, but, you know, and we always had the nice vacations and we had all that stuff. But, you know, there was something, even the day, I was never satisfied. In other words, I, I get in that BMW and I start it up and there's nothing like the sound of that engine, right? And I pull it out of the lot and I'm going down Highway 111. It's like it's on rails. It just, shh. But then after a few miles, the excitement kind of faded away. Now I'm looking for the next thing. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. We had the home in Palm Springs and all these great trips, but after that trip, well, and we need another trip. After that trip, we need another trip. And on and on and on and on it went. But what you might not know about me 
I mocked Christians. As a matter of fact, I was so bad. My nieces and nephews, I mean, my nieces especially, I love them so much. I mocked them. I called them Bible thumpers. I mean, they're just eight and nine years old, and I'm calling them Bible thumpers and, and all these things. And my brother and his wife, and going, how do you believe in that stuff? You know, don't you know you make it on your own? You know, and it, I kind of reminded myself when I, I'm going to read you a scripture, and I, this kind of, believe me, in a lot of ways, this was me. This is from Acts 9. And it says, now Saul, still breathing, it's funny, it's Paul. Now, now Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Friends, I'm telling you, if you wouldn't recognize, believe me, this is just who I was. But then, the rescue started. You know, the story there in Acts goes on to say, and this I very much relate to, goes on to say that now as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Well, like Paul said, we had the business down Palm Springs, and I had the Bible-thumping office manager. (laughs) And I went in one night, as I did every night, to see if there were any sales. Now, this was a nationwide business. Everybody that, market, that test marketed it said, you know what, you could, you could sell one quarter of 1% and you'd be multimillionaires. We sold 11. That was not enough. That was not one quarter of 1%. <laughs> well, one night when I went down there, I walked in the office and she had left the radio playing. And I was like, ugh, Christian radio. But I thought, you know what, it's white noise. I'll just deal with it. So I sat down at the computer, and I started to look over the books, and was there anything going on? Had any sales happened? They didn't take long, did it? No. (laughs) And suddenly, a man's voice came over the radio. To this day, I can't tell you who it was. It might have been Chuck Colson. I don't know. All I remember hearing him say is, hmm, God wants you back. Now, I don't know what happened in the human realm. I don't know what I did. What I can tell you is I ended up being in a place surrounded by the most comforting, glorious, white light. And I knew Jesus was right there in front of me. I didn't see him. I felt him. And I was so surrounded by a love that you cannot even imagine I didn't want to leave it. I wanted to stay right there with him. I don't know how much time went by. I don't know how long I was in that state. But when I came back to reality, I had left my seat. I was in the middle of the office floor on my knees in tears. And I wanted to just bust because I was so excited about what had just happened to me. I experienced Jesus for the first time in my life. All those things that happened at camp, 
It was a prodding of the Holy Spirit. This was a God encounter. I finished doing what I was doing, looked at the radio station to check and see what station it was, got out of the office, went to the car, turned the station to that station, listened to Jesus music all the way home, got to the corner of our street and panicked. My husband calls my nieces and nephews Bible thumpers. How am I going to tell him what just happened? So I said, God, I'm not doing it. Changed the station back to the country western it had been on. Pulled in the garage, turned off the car, walked in the house, and said nothing. What you need to know is that I couldn't hold this in. I bought Bibles. I had Bible studies at work with other Christians. I don't know how much time went by. I'm going to guess about a month. But she was all of a sudden not coming home from work right after work. She, you know, of course, you start thinking other things too. You know, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> but there she was doing Bible studies. I said one day, Lord, change Paul's heart or give me the power to walk away from my marriage because I can't keep this secret. You know, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I come home realizing that we're facing bankruptcy. I'm going to lose everything. And we're just not talking financial. My notoriety in the community is very important. I belong to many organizations. Who I was was very important in those, in those situations. And if that, any of that word got out that, oh, my gosh, you know, Paul failed at one business he started, blah, blah, blah. Did you know he filed bankruptcy? You know, what happened that day, I, I, I got home and I just walked. I mean, I walked into my bedroom. I just fell on my knees. It's funny how the 911 call. And I said, God, if you're for real, if you can get me out of this, I'll do anything, anything you ask me to do. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's a Bible sitting on the nightstand. I didn't know she was going to bed early at night, and she kept it stuffed in the night table. But that day, she forgot to put it away. I went, I picked up the Bible. I don't know if I ever opened one in my life. I took the Bible, I got back down on my knees, and I got to tell you, man, I, I mean, I'm really broken. I'm crying. I flip it open. I just flip it open. And it falls to Matthew 6.24. It was almost as clear as could be as say, Paul, <laughs> no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You just can't do it. I knew right then at that moment that God was for real. There was a tremendous feeling of warmth in that that fell over me and the most oddest peace, even though I was shaken like a leaf. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Be real careful by making a statement like that. Because shortly after that, 
So now remember, I had not mentioned to him what had happened to me. That's right. So I'm at, I'm at work, and I'm talking to other believers at work. I'm uh, having uh, Bible studies. And also, I didn't tell you what happened to me. Correct. Weird, right? So I'm talking to other believers at, at, at work, and I said, you know what? i got to get connected with a church. And so some of them, you know, gave me different names of places that we could attend. And um, one of our friends said, you know, try Southwest. They have a Saturday night church service. Give it a shot. So I said to Lord, okay, God, I'm going to try this. This is up to you now. His heart has to be changed. So it's Friday night. We're getting ready for bed. And we're talking about different things in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I said, you know what? I'm thinking we need to go to church. What do you think? And he said, sure. Which church do you want to go to? (gasps) And I said, well, some people at work told me about this church that's over in Palm Desert. So maybe we can go there. And he said, sure. When is the church service? And it was a Saturday night. And I said, remember, and I I mentioned the friends, and I said, remember them? They said they'd meet us there. And he said, okay, we'll give it a shot. Well, little did I know that Hovely Lane, which is where Southwest was at the time, had two different streets. So we're driving down Hovely. Now, what you need to know about my husband, he's much better today. What you need to know about my husband is that if you don't have exact directions, we go home. So we're on Hovely, and there is no church. And he pulls off the side of the road, and he takes a deep breath, and I'm just waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And he says, you know, there's two Hovely lanes. And I said, there is. Again, I'm going, God, really? So... He drives to the second Hovely. We are 15 minutes late for church. We walk in the door, and it's a, it's a youth ministry. It's a children's, like, choir. choir thing going on. We sit down. Our friends, my coworkers, were not there. And it was just, it, it was not like church. It was, it was kind of fun seeing the kids up there. So, anyway, I said to him after this experience, how about if we start attending, our friends Randy and Terry will meet us there, we'll go out to dinner afterwards, and we can ask any questions we have. He said yes. So that's what we started doing. We started attending a um, couples ministry called Couples Connection. And in October, now, Just to remind you, neither one of us has said anything to the other about what happened. Never talked about our encounters. And we talk about everything, except that. So we're at a couple's connection one night, and they're announcing that they're going to be doing baptisms. And so as we're driving home, I said to him, you know, I was baptized in the Baptist church when I was 15, but I really, I walked away. I I really had no desire to be part of this Christian rule thing. And I said, I know my heart has been transformed. I want to be baptized. And he went, oh, well, what does that mean to you, baptism? And I said, it means that I'm publicly in front of everybody that attends 
saying, I believe in Jesus, and I welcome you to hold me accountable. So we went home. He still said nothing about what had happened to him. A month goes by. This is October. November is the baptism. Well, the baptism is on a Saturday. The Friday before, I'm at work. He calls me, and he says, I was talking to the pastor, and the pastor said we could be baptized together if that would be okay with you. I have to tell you I was coming out of my skin. I probably screamed at work because I was so excited because I knew he wouldn't make that choice because of everything he had been experiencing being taught. He wouldn't make that choice unless he knew he had had a Jesus encounter. We got baptized together that Saturday, and I began to pray, Lord, use us in a mighty way. Show us where you want us to be. But mostly, God, help my husband to be the spiritual leader of my home. Direct his path, Lord. Don't let money be our guide. Well, the next thing, you know, this is what happened. So I go, well, what do we do next? Oh, we're baptized now, and we're at the, what, what do I do next? She goes, well, we should volunteer. Oh, volunteer, huh? Well, well, where do we volunteer? Well, at Southwest had this booth outside, and you'd go up to it, and they had places they could use volunteers. So I walk up, and I see Mary goes, well, we, we, we think we'd like to volunteer. And she goes, oh, I got a perfect spot for you guys, the youth ministry. We have no kids. Yeah, and I go, youth ministry? You know, they're, not, they're, they're still subhuman, right? They're youth ministry people. And I'm thinking, what? Next thing you know, we're volunteering in youth ministry. We were in that ministry for years. Well, next thing you know, they're asking, hey, Paul, would you lead groups to Brazil? I led two groups of teenagers to Brazil. Okay, boys and girls, young adult teenagers. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm on patrol all night long, okay, in this place, trying to keep things under control, <laughs> Watch what God's, what God's doing there. Next thing you know, they come to me, they said, you know what, we want to try something different. A lot of churches are doing this in Southern California, and it's called a video cafe. In other words, you have two different types of worship music. They go, we want to have traditional downstairs in the main church, and we'd like to have more contemporary upstairs. And we'll video, we'll send the message, the same message at the same time upstairs. And so you can have a contemporary group playing up there. We want you and Mary to just kind of be the people that greet people, have a little coffee bar. And I say, okay, fine. We set it up like a Starbucks, you know. We had little cafe tables and chairs, and we set up this whole thing. Well, it became really successful, and it, and it done, done really, really well. And then we got involved in another couple other ministry opportunities, leading groups and teaching stuff, and all of a sudden one day, Associate, I mean, the uh, pastor comes up to me and he says, Hey, Paul, have you ever thought about being a pastor? I mean, I wish I had a camera that moment because my jaw must have dropped. You know, like, like if I had a list of all the things that I wanted to accomplish in life, I'm telling you, and I got to the bottom line, it wasn't on the list. I mean, I never thought, I mean, in a zillion years, that's the last thing the last thing I'd ever want to do. And they goes, well, we've been watching you and Mary for the last three years, and you know, we just see the hand of God on you. And I'm like, what? And they said, well, it seems like everything you two touch, just God seems to bless it. 
And I'm thinking, he does? I just thought that's what you do. You know what I mean? This is what God does. And they go, no, no, no. We'd like to send you to Biola University. We'd like you to get educated in organizational leadership. And I'm like, what? I go tell Mary, and then she comes, and she goes to Biola with me, and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then Southwest comes to me, and they said, hey, to us, after the video cafe, they said, look, we want to start a satellite church. We want to have a church plant. We want to put it in Cathedral City. We'd like you and Mary to travel around to the churches in Southern California that are doing this, where they video the message in, and I want you to go see how they're set up and how they're doing, and then if you want to do that, you two will be the shepherding pastors of the very first one in Cathedral City. So what you need to know is that I had quit my job because I was going to be helping him pastor this shepherding church. And I walked away from my profession, and now I'm full-time into the church. You know, I, I, I can tell you one thing about the power of a praying wife, right? Can I encourage? I, I actually came home one day because all these ministries were getting involved. I said, Mary, just stop praying for me. Just stop. Look at this stuff that never ends. We're in this all the time. Stop praying. Well, anyways, we launched the first and only satellite church for Southwest in Cathedral City in the elementary school uh, just a, probably not even two months before Christmas. Um, it was while wildly successful, okay? I mean, it just took off really well. It was a great group of people, real family environment, a couple hundred people showing up. It, it, was, it was really, really, really nice. Well, a few days before Christmas, I got a phone call. You know, I don't know if you remember the story, just probably a, a month or so before that, the senior pastor of the church had a fall, and they removed him from his position and things just started falling apart at the church, and they brought outside people in to redirect it. So I get a call, and they said, hey, Paul, um, the church financially is in really bad shape. Uh, we need you to go and shut that church down on Christmas Eve. And it almost sounds like a movie, doesn't it? And, and I remember, I go, what? I, shut it down. They said, we don't have any money to keep it going, and we don't have any money to keep you either. So this is it for you. I just need you to go close it down. And by the way, there's no severance pay either. There's nothing we can give you. And I'm never forgetting, you may think this is all very funny. And I said, you fire pastors? I mean, really, I was, what? And they said, uh, yeah. And you should have been saving money anyways for something like this to come down the road. I'll never forget it. So I'm sitting there, I hang up the phone. We're sitting on the couch, and I'm telling you, I just start crying. I mean, we walked away from everything. Mary did, and, and you know, we put all this, our eggs in this basket with God, we thought, you know, think, and doing all this. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at my door. <laughs> and I go, and I open my front door, and this woman standing there. And she goes like this. She goes, hi, I'm your next-door neighbor, Mrs. Wilson. Remember the Wilson thing? I, I never saw Tool her. Tool time. Tool time. I never saw her except her eyes above the wall. That's all. I, I didn't know what she looked like. She goes, hi, I'm Mrs. Wilson. And I'm going, what? And just start laughing. And she says, I was sitting at my desk, and God told me to write this and give it to you. And she hands me this card. Okay, I really don't know. Okay, close the door. I go sit down. I open up the card. And it said, Everything that's going on at the church, it's all going to go around you. It's all going to miss you. 
God's got a plan. He wants you to go after the sheep that have been scattered. And he'll show you the way. Well, we already had tickets bought for North Carolina to go see my family. We were leaving anyways. And so uh, Christmas Eve, we went in. We shut the church down. Christmas Day, we got on the plane, went back east. Just before we left, though, on that Christmas Eve service, a handful of people came and they said, you know what? We really love what's going on here. Can't we keep this going? And I said, well, obviously not because I'm no longer, they kicked me out. I'm no longer a pastor. There is no money. No, I, I don't think so. And they said, well, we think this is great. We think we want to give a try. Okay, whatever. So we got on the plane, went back. We come back, a, oh, what, a couple weeks later. I meet with these people and found out why we were gone. A group of them got together, put together a church, got the 501 set up in like record-breaking time. And Faith Community Church is the church that we wound up pastoring for 14 years, came out of that time together. But what you don't know how this, uh, the things just didn't end. The, they said, you know, they said, Paul, we'd like you to be an associate pastor, not the main guy. The associate pastor, would you be interested? Got nothing else to do. <laughs> that's what I said. I got nothing else to do. I mean, that's what a way to start, right? But that's what I did. And they had other guys who was the senior pastor. Well, it, again, it just took off. Mm -hmm. It was, I thought, was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, we've been going about four months, and the senior pastor comes to me and he says, Paul, myself, my wife, and the family, we're leaving the desert. So we're going to walk away from the church here. And, I mean, talk about like a gut below. I go, what? He goes, it's too difficult for us here in the valley since all the stuff that happens, you know, with the fall and the things that are going on, it's just, it's just not working. We got to leave. So, uh, and he said to me, you know, I really highly recommend if you want to keep this going, you know, get videos of some pastors and play them because you really can't teach. You know, you're really not any good at, at this. So we highly recommend you do that. So the following Sunday, we get their family together. Everybody comes around. We pray for them. Father's Day, the following Sunday's Father's Day, my first day as a senior pastor in the pulpit. He taught sitting down because his leg shook so much, we called him Elvis. Yeah, I'm telling you, I had to sit on my leg like, one for the money. You know, I mean, it was, man. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. And so um, it's Father's Day. I walk in. From 200 people, we have 35 left. People were so hurt, so disappointed, there's only 35 people left. So I had the one guy who played a guitar, one person who sang on a stool. I had aluminum chairs that I put in a circle around the stage. And that's where Faith Community Church began. And over the next 14 years, God did tremendous things, besides growing me and Mary and our faith and our belief. But it did tremendous things. Hundreds of people got through this church, were baptized. So many new believers. We wound up going to Nicaragua a few times, building an orphanage with called Building for Children. Just amazing things. And then as we got into our 14th year, you know, I, then I meet Jeff Cranford. You never know what God's going to do. And we developed a relationship. And a few years later, he said, what do you think about us coming together, putting the two churches together together? and do something really special here in the valley. So that's how our happened, how God, right at that point, made the changes in our life. And so I got to, 
I just need to ask you something, you know. It's like, how often, how often has God, how often has God tried to get your attention? Has he ever tried to get your attention, you know? Um, I had to stop and go, how many times did he try to talk to me for my, you know, I was 42 years old before I became a believer. So any of you out there that got kids going, they're never going to come to know Jesus. I was 42, okay? God never stopped, God never stopped pursuing me. It reminded me of him constantly calling, there's a story in in, in, uh, Samuel, and it's actually about Samuel the prophet, and there's one, let me read it to you. It says, the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. I tell you, God, I don't know how many times tried to call me and get my attention. And he says, he got up and he went to Eli and he says, here I am for you called me. He thinks, it's, guy's calling him, Eli's calling him. And Eli realized, wait a minute, that the Lord's calling this boy. And Eli says to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And, and Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. Like Samuel, and I mean this is a serious question to all of you listening as well here on the internet. Could it be that God's trying to get your attention. Does he want to talk to you? Does he have something that he needs you to do? Is he trying to reach you maybe through some circumstance that you're working through right now? Or has he put certain people in your life or situations or whatever? But tremendous things happen when the scales fall from your eyes and you actually see God working. Sometimes God lets really Awful things happen to you. Dramatic things happen to you in order to get your attention. But when this happened to us, it was like the scales came off of our eyes. You know, she's talking about when we lost everything. Everything. So, Acts 9, 13 through 19 talks about Saul meeting Ananias. And it says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to arrest all who are called by your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, laid his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like fish scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight his sight. He got up, he was baptized, he took food, and he was strengthened. Thinking of all the people God placed in our lives through circumstances, through events, the scales were removed. I think about, even here today, dear friends, Mike and Tracy Groves, discipling us, teaching us, preparing us 
for ministry. Richard Cohey, his wife Sarah at the time, always there to hold us accountable to things. A couple that we know and love that is outside the valley now, Tom and Amy Bowman. Paul Parham here. And here's another real kicker for you. We started tithing, um, you know, 10%, right? IRS audit, okay? I Nobody mean, gives that kind of money to we, the church. We, we just got through the bankruptcy. Next thing you know, we get a notice from the IRS. We want to see you in person, downtown. So we walk in the office. We prayed before we went in, sitting there waiting for our names to be called. Guy comes out. There's like 10 other people in the room there. He looks right at us, and he says, Paul and Mary burst, right? We're like, yeah. He takes us back to his little cubicle. I don't know if you've ever been in the IRS office in Palm Springs, a little tiny place, not much privacy. We start talking to him, and all of a sudden, he leans forward, and he says, God brings me all the Christians. He was a believer. He prayed with us, and he said, one day, you're going to give your testimony. You can't name my name, but you're going to tell them God is even in the IRS. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that. We walked down. The office used to be upstairs, and he walks us out. He goes, I'm going to walk you out. We get to the bottom of the stairs, and he goes, I want to pray with you. I mean, you got to, I mean, we were. So we not only got audited, we got, but then we got money back. We got audited the next year and the following year. Can you believe that? And got every refund Every back. refund every time. We got more money back than we, than we did before. <laughs> Crazy, right? You know, uh, people that came into our lives. It's important who you hang with and what you do. I'll never forget this couple that meant so much. When those scales fell off my eyes and I'm looking for direction where to go, this couple called Randy and Terry Vorster. Faithful. Faithful to disciple me and to guide me. Brian Ekstrom, such a good friend of mine. He was the encourager. He would meet me for lunch every week, and we would sit, and I would talk to him. Poor Randy. Randy, I mean, we'd go out to dinner after church on Saturday, and I would, oh, man, I would pound this guy because you know, I want to believe this Christian thing. You know, I want to believe this Jesus thing, and I would pound him a question. I even hit him with, so let me understand, this 10%, is that on the net or the gross? Okay. <laughs> No, I actually said that. I mean, I'm asking him, going, how do you know this stuff is true? How do you know about this? And you know what's so cool about him? If he didn't know the answer, he said, Paul, I don't know. But when we get together next week, I'll have the answer for you. And he did. He was stepping stones to help me grow in my faith. Brian was stepping stones to grow in my faith. Mike and Tracy Groves, Richard Cohey, they were all steps in helping us to continue to grow in our faith. And then, friends, we had these, I, I, and then, it, and just to kind of wind things down, we had people, I, I call them the amazed and baffled, because they would look at us and go, what the heck has happened to you? As a matter of fact, I, I'm just going to finish with the scripture in Acts 9. And it said, and Paul immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue. That's what I was doing. He's the son of God. All those hearing him continue to be amazed. And they're saying, is this not the one 
who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on the name and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. You know, the transformation in us was really astounding. <laughs> people that knew us, people in my workplace that knew us, um, they couldn't figure out what was going on, and I didn't even know how to explain. I just knew that something happened. And I, you know, what I would say is I said, I would say, oh, I found Jesus. And of course, people were like, oh, gosh, she's a Jesus freak now. But one of the things that was so amazing, this was happening during 9-11, and many of the stuff, many of the things that were happening was the president um, was calling the, the nation to prayer. And so I went to the president of the company that I worked for, and I said to him, you know, the president has said, you know, maybe there should be a moment of silence for those who are struggling with, you know, loss because of 9-11 in New York. And he said, okay, we'll do that. So they literally turned off the music. I worked on an assembly plant. They turned off the music and said, there will be a moment of silence. So all assembly stopped in my workplace because God put it on my heart to, to bring attention to it. We also, the president said, time of prayer. So I went to the president of the company and I said, can we have on our lunch break prayer outside? He said, absolutely. So I got the word out to everybody, and there were 50 of my coworkers that showed up on the back lawn of our building. And I sat there, excuse me, stood there and proclaimed Jesus and prayed for our nation with these 50 coworkers. I never would have done something like this in the past. It was on my heart. My hairdresser didn't know what the heck had happened. Because we were just completely different people. Yeah. The best blessing was my family. My mother had experienced me walking away from the church when I turned 18. So to her, to experience, I know I was the topic of a lot of her prayers. And God answered her prayers. Brought me back. You know, I'll never forget one of my good friends was over at the house, and this is when I was asked to be a pastor, and so his name was Bobby. And I said, Bobby, we used to hang together, do all kinds of stuff. I said, Bobby, um, I'm going to be a pastor. And he's sitting, on a, he's sitting on a bench in my living room. He fell off the bench laughing so hard. He was almost pounding his hands and kicking his feet. He's laughing. He goes, come on, Paul, stop it, man. And he pounded. I mean, he was like, "Are you serious? You, you?" <laughs> I had business associates all through the valley here. I mean, some of them didn't want to talk to me anymore. They felt uncomfortable about me. You know, he's changed now. We heard these rumors about him and this Jesus thing and and all that. And my business partner, we eventually broke up because we couldn't we couldn't do business the same. You know, a lot of times we worked in the gray area. I, I be, all of a sudden, I just became it's black or it's white. I mean, it's one or the other here. You, there's no gray area anymore. My own mother said, what's happened to you? <laughs> she goes, what, what happened to my son? You're so different. Can I tell you, as we get ready to close this, 
We have the greatest friends that we could ever imagine. Did we lose what we thought? Well, they were friends at that moment in time, in that chapter of our life. But the friends we have today are the most loving, caring, encouraging, always be there no matter what. Following Jesus was the best thing we could possibly do. So just to close this down, I want to ask you, to what extent would God go to rescue you or your children? or your grandchildren? Where do you interfere in your life? He did. We have a God who pursues us. We have a God who will do what it takes to get us back. Like Mary started, we got a God that goes after the one. So don't miss this. I can tell you, you don't know you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. Amen? He is a rescuer. He rescued us. He can rescue you no matter what situation you find yourself in today, whether it's health, whether it's issues with your kids, your family, your marriage, whatever it is. I'm going to close with this last video just to show you and see Jesus as our rescuer. And Mary, why don't you close us in prayer, and then we're going to watch this video, and then you guys go right ahead and go. Father, we just, we rejoice that you never, ever stop pursuing. And Lord, I just thank you. Thank you so much that you called us. You created us to be your kids, but you called us back. And I thank you, Lord. For anybody in this room today that has loved ones, or if you're sitting here today and you've been on the fence, Jesus wants you. You yes. just have to listen. So, Lord, I just thank you so much that you called us where you have us and that you truly are our rescuer. 